What a, a great day. What a blessing to be here. What a blessing to know about the truth, to know about God's way of life, to know what this day pictures. You know, we, you know, we should have been thinking about this as the, the weeks have, have led up to this day. You know, we kept the Passover and talked about this, talked about this time in John 14 and John 16, when Christ promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful blessing that we can have that, we can have that in us, we can have that working with us. I don't want to go too deep yet. Um, That's what I want to talk about today, of course, right? That's what we're here for. That's what we all came to hear about, to learn about. Let's turn to John 4. John 4 and verse 23. We have Jesus Christ speaking to us. John 4 and verse 23. Jesus Christ says, But the hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers, and that is who we are, brethren, that's who we need to be, true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He said the time is coming and now is. As God's people, we have to worship him in truth. That is, according to this word, his word, and the spirit guiding us and directing us according to this word, giving us the strength to live according to his word. In John 16, let's turn to John 16. John 16, Jesus Christ preparing the disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit, guiding them, preparing their minds. And boy, he really did spend time preparing them for the work that was ahead of them, showing them how they could use the Holy Spirit the way they were. It was intended to be used. He gave them guidance and direction. John 16 And verse 13, however, when he, the the spirit of truth, and we're going to get into some of the wording here a little bit later, but I want to pull a couple things out here. The spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. God's spirit will guide us into all truth. Not lies. not, Not the imaginations of men. That have just thought things up about how to worship him. But into all truth. I asked my mother one time. Maybe I've, maybe I've told this before. Forgive me. Whatever. When, when I was a kid. I was about this high. About that big. No. <laughs> probably bigger. Somewhere in there. I asked my mother. You know. Ma, why do we keep these weird days? 
you know, we've got to take off school, got to, you know, why, why don't we keep all this other stuff like the normal people do? <laughs> and, you know, she told me, she grew up uh, as, a, as a Catholic, and she told me, we don't keep it weird. They're the ones that keep it weird. This came from God's word. What we're doing came from this book. And it can be proven that he is the God and the creator. We do it the way God says to do it. According to truth. Truth. He will guide us into, guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Now, let's turn to Acts 1. So God prepares, or Christ was preparing the disciples for what was about to happen on the day of Pentecost. Just whatever, 50 plus days later from the time he spoke in uh, John 16. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, this is Luke writing, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after through... uh, After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He had been spending time with them, 40 days, teaching them, helping them, guiding them, preparing them for what was about to happen. It was a big deal what was about to happen. A really big deal. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. To wait. Boy, imagine, you know, it's easy to not obey sometimes. It's easy to kind of slip back and forth, not be here at services. Of course, anybody... Uh, Not here, wouldn't hear that. (laughs) But it's easy. It's easy. Imagine if we didn't show up that day. The day of Pentecost, about to come here in 31 AD. Don't depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... Uh, You have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Verse eight, but you shall receive power. It is power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, let's move forward to chapter 2. The day of Pentecost now had come. He told them, be there. He prepared them emotionally, mentally, spiritually for it the best he could. He taught them about it. Now, we're in Acts chapter 2. This, uh, from up there, it looked like a, a bottle of water cut in half and with just the 
uh, just the, the top sticking down like that. Oh, good mountain water. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And, of course, this is the first example of a car, a Honda Accord. Oh, oh, that, oh that's bad. I suppose that joke's only been around for the past 20, 30, 40 years or so, though. Okay. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they and there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it goes on to explain, you know, that they, they were speaking, and those there, there were people from all over. In fact, if you didn't see the, the latest TW Now, you could watch the latest TW Now, and it's about speaking in tongues. Where, you know, we talked about looking through uh, Acts 2 here. The example is people hearing in their own languages. They came from all over to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They spoke different dialects. Mr. Frank pointed out that, that there, there were even different synagogues inside of Jerusalem because of the different dialects, so they could go there and understand in their own language, in their own dialect. But now it was the job of the church to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world and preach this incredible message. And God opened up the blessing to be able to speak in tongues, to be able to communicate so that everybody in the audience could hear exactly what was being said. As one of the gifts of God's Holy Spirit. So they were asking what happened. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Listen to what I say. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So it's 1119, 2018. Uh, so real simple. Uh, Math, not, not anything big, but ni- that's 1987 years ago and nine hours and 20 minutes ago, approximately. <laughs> that's kind of neat. It was only the third hour of the day. It was about 9 a.m. there in Jerusalem. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. This was a foretype of really what was going, what's going to happen in the future. God was opening it up, opening it up to a small number of people. His Holy Spirit, He was opening it up to a small number of people. A little flock. That's what He was doing. 
He gave access to his Holy Spirit in a much broader way than it ever had been, though, to that point. It was only a few people, really, when it when it comes down to it, up to that point, had experienced working directly with God's Holy Spirit. Relatively speaking, you know, a few number of people. What's the significance of this? What is the significance of God's Holy Spirit being opened up to his people? What exactly is the Spirit of God? What is it? And what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us individually, sitting in this room and God's people around the world? That's what I want to talk about for the remainder of the sermon today. What's the significance? What is God's Spirit? And what does it mean for us? So we'll, we'll answer these questions in this sermon. We'll be surveying the Bible, going through God's Word, looking what God's Spirit is, identifying what it is, looking at attributes of God's Holy Spirit, and then what that means for our life. First, before we, we get into what God's Word says about the Holy Spirit, and the attributes, the characteristics of it. Uh, so again, it'll be broken into two parts. Characteristics and then what it means for our life. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about the Trinity doctrine. You know, I get a lot of phone calls and talk and people call. Uh, and, you know, one question that comes up. Do you teach the Trinity? Do you believe in the Trinity? Of course, the answer is no, we don't teach that because that is not a a biblical teaching. It's not a doctrine that comes out of the Bible. And they say, oh, well, I shouldn't say that. They they say, uh, oh, so you don't you don't believe in the Holy Spirit? And maybe at that point I've said that uh, the Holy Spirit is not a person. It's not a, an entity. It's not a separate person of a three-person Godhead. They say, oh, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit? Well, no, no. That's not what I, you know, that's not what I'm communicating here. We believe in God's Holy Spirit because, I mean, hey, it's all throughout God's Word. But it is not a separate person. So I just want to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit. We do have several new people here, um, and even for those who've been here for many years and decades, boy, it's good to be refreshed on some of these things. I'm not going to go too deep, but I do want to read a couple things from Mr. Weston's booklet, John 3.16, Hidden Truths of the Golden Verse. Okay, so there's just a few excerpts here that I want to read to help wrap our mind around, you know, where the Trinity came from and, and that type of thing. He says, uh, Erdman's, he's going to quote from Erdman's uh, handbook on the Bible. Erdman's highly regarded handbook to the hist- history of Christianity tells us that uh, Tertullian developed the doctrine of the Trinity. Ultimately, he kind of took it and put it into Christianity. Tertullian was a man, he was born around 160 A.D., so, what, 130 years after Jesus Christ died, he was born. 
And by the time he would have written, would have been another 30 years, so whatever, 160 years or so after Jesus Christ died. And received the typical education of the late 2nd century. He demonstrated how pagan intellectual achievements, these wonderful pagan intellectual achievements, could be made to serve Christianity. How wonderful. That was a joke, in case you didn't know. The, difference, the differences between the orthodoxy of, uh, kind of going on in, in the booklet, uh, for instance, Alexandria and Carthage arose out of the different ways of thinking in their, of their theologians. Tertullian used the, the language and thought forms of law, rhetoric, and stoicism, and Montanism. Uh, Clement and Origen, other men who, who helped form these doctrines, Clement and Origen used the concepts of Platonism uh, and, and other isms and, and Christian Gnosticism. These theologians read the Bible through the lenses of their non-biblical biases. These men were not led by the Spirit of God. They read the, the Bible through their through the lenses of their non-biblical biases. And one of the great debates of their day involved the nature of God. Who and what is God? In addition to the problem of preconceived perceptions about God based on heathen influences, it's important to understand that, listen to this, this is interesting what Mr. Weston points out here, or actually uh, Erdman's handbook uh, mixed with some of Mr. Weston's words. It's important to understand the arrogance that accompanied these prejudices. The arrogance that accompanied. Origen felt, this comes from Erdman's handbook, Origen felt quite superior to the apostles Peter, John, James, and the other men Christ personally chose. Who feels superior to those men? The speculative... Origen not only includes paragraphs on the soul, free will, devils, and angels, but also claims that the apostles left much else to be investigated by those who were fit for the higher gifts of God. What? (laughs) Okay, we'll throw that idea out, the Trinity. Well, I mean, of course, you know, there's a lot more beyond that. We're not going to get, get too deep into it. But that's, that's where it came from. That's its origin. Origin, sorry. Okay, a couple of definitions before we, we get into what God's Word says. I really would love to try the Greek and, and Hebrew pronunciations of these. <sighs> but I may not do it. Okay, so the first one is ruach, uh, and it—that's the Hebrew. Uh, that's the exact Hebrew pronunciation. It is a uh, interesting. We think about the we think about the um, the Trinity doctrine, and you know the the, the use of thinking about the spirit as a he or, you know, in that regard. And we're going to get into some scriptures that talk about it in that way. But this is actually Hebrew feminine noun, right? 
Hebrew is the feminine noun. Um, the meaning uh, from Strong's is you know, wind, resemblance of, of breath, um, life, spirit. It's, it's kind of difficult to, to get exactly around it. But uh, wind, tempest, so forth are some words there. Uh, the Greek word pneuma, it's a neuter noun. Okay, so I mean, we've heard this before, you know, feminine noun. Um, oh, man, I, okay, let's see. Mm. La mesa, I think that's the table in Spanish, right? Yes, okay, good. So that's the table in Spanish. La mesa, that means it's a feminine. It's, it's feminine in that way, but the table is not a she. Uh, we, and then there's other things that talk about el, you know, something else. <laughs> And that is the male uh, gender of the word. Okay, this is pneuma. It's neuter, so it doesn't have, it's not female or uh, male in that way. It means, Greek word pneuma means current of air, that is breath or breeze, um, spirit. Um, th- that's the kind of overall picture of it, the Holy Spirit it's used as. Okay, and then there's another word that's uh, parakletos. It's used in John 14 and John 16. Parakletos means intercessor, consoler, advocate, comforter. Or it's it's uh, translated helper in uh, the New King James Version. Okay, this word spirit of God used in both the uh, Hebrew, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Okay, it's used in the same way. This word spirit. It's used to not only represent the spirit of God, it's used to represent the spirit of man. I say represent, to, it's used in the wording of the spirit of man. It's used in the wording to delineate the difference between, uh, I think it might be Jeremiah, we're not going to go there, but I think in Jeremiah it talks about uh, horses are of flesh, but God is of spirit. Okay, so, so to just... Delineate between flesh and spirit. The essence of what God is composed of. What the angels are composed of. They're composed of spirit. And any, really, it, it, the same word is used to represent, uh, in many cases, uh, even, you know, the, the spirit of anger, the spirit of jealousy. It could be used to picture, um, uh, you know, an evil spirit. Okay, so the word spirit alone is not holy. Okay, it is when it is attached to God. That's when it's holy. It's either called the spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. Or it's very clear it's talking about the spirit in the context of of the passage. So those are some things to to have in mind. Okay. Next, I want to read the statement of fundamental beliefs. What does the living church of God teach about the Holy Spirit? And some of this we're going to get into while we look at the attributes and then while we get into uh, when we get into how it works in our life. But the statement of fundamental beliefs The Holy Spirit, this is what it says. 
God is spirit. The Holy Spirit is the very essence, the mind, the life and power of God. It is not a being. The Spirit is inherent in the Father and the Son and emanates from them throughout the entire universe. Jeremiah, um, I'm sorry, it was through the Spirit that God created all things. It is the power by which Christ maintains the universe. It is given to all who repent of their sins and are baptized and is the power by which all believers may be overcomers and will lead and will be led to eternal life. That's what our statement of fundamental beliefs says about the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to get into, we're going to get into several attributes. We're not going to cover every one. We're just going to pull out some, some major ones. And you may be able to think about others. I'm sure you will be able to think about others. Boy, talk about them at lunch. I want to hear them. Whatever else you can think of, bring it up. So we're going to look at several passages here. First attribute of God's Holy Spirit that we're going to pull out. How many are there? Several. (laughs) Brace yourself. First one is God used it to create the universe. Let's go to Genesis 1 and verse 1. God used his Holy Spirit, and we're going to build a picture by looking at these attributes. Fill in the the puzzle pieces about what God's Spirit is, what it looks like to us, what it means for us. Okay, Genesis 1. We're all familiar with this, but I want to read it out loud anyways here. In the beginning... Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. Right there at the beginning. Of course, we understand there's a a time gap between Genesis 1, verse 1 and 1, verse 2. We understand that. But here, right at the, the beginning of the creation account in Genesis... We see God's spirit was there, heavily involved. God's spirit was there. Let's go to Job 26. Again, building a picture. We're going to look at several scriptures to take and build and put together here. Job 26. We're building on top of what we've already looked at. And God's word reveals all of these things to us. Job 26 and verse 13. But his spirit, by his spirit, he ordained, he adorned the heavens. God, through his Holy Spirit, adorned the heavens. The stars and galaxies, the however, you know, many Billions of stars and hundreds of billions or trillions of galaxies, whatever it is. And I think the number has been raised since uh, the last time I had paid deep attention to it or came up with an an exact number of stars. (laughs) I didn't come up with an exact number of stars. But 
76 trillion stars is is one number, and that might be you know 100 times more now. So, but if you wanted to count to 76 trillion, that's a lot, and you wanted to count, you could count one per second. Okay, one per second, and you would just have to keep counting, and you couldn't sleep or eat or do anything else except for count. It would take you two quadrillion years. Two quadrillion years. And you wouldn't be able to sleep or eat during that time. That's a long time. And a lot of stars. He adorned the heavens with his Holy Spirit. By his Spirit he did it. Psalm 104. Psalm 104, verse 30. Psalm 104, we see David speaking here. One oh four and verse thirty. It says, You send forth your spirit, and they are created. God's Spirit created. And you renew the face of the earth. The Genesis 1 verse 2 account there. By your spirit you renew the face of the earth. He gave it light. And the land and the water and the animals in the sea and the birds and and animals on land. And he made us. He made mankind. By his Holy Spirit. Okay, so attribute number one that we've looked at is God used his spirit to create the universe and create everything in it. Number two, by it he maintains the universe. He didn't just create it and let it all go, but he maintains it. Let's look at Hebrews 1 and verse 2. Hebrews 1 and verse 2. Hebrews 1 verse 2, in these last days, spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. And he does it through his Holy Spirit. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He upholds all things by his power. It needs maintenance. What created thing doesn't need some form of ongoing maintenance? Or just falls into total, utter decay. Psalm 104 and verse 29. Psalm 104 and verse 29. God has to maintain what he's created. 
Psalm 104, verse 29. This is right before where we were at. It says, you hide your face and they are troubled. You take away their breath. God allows us to have breath. God allows, he gave breath to the animals. He gave breath to us. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. And let's go to one other one here in regard to this point, that he maintains the universe. Job 34, this is really telling to me, and it's very powerful. Job 34 Job 34 and verse 14. So he upholds everything through his spirit. Job 34. This is powerful to me. Verse 14. Job 34 verse 14. If he should set his heart on it, if he wanted to, if he really wanted to, If he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, if he would bring it all back, if he really wanted to, he could bring it all back. In verse 15, all flesh would perish together and man would return to the dust. He keeps it going. He gives us the air we breathe He gives us the life we have. He gives us everything we have. And if he wanted to, he could take his spirit and all flesh would return to dust. What a blessing. So point number two, attribute number two, is that he maintains the universe by his spirit. Attribute number three, God's spirit has worked with several individuals throughout uh, the history prior to the setting up of the church. Okay, we're not going to turn to, oh, yep, we are going to turn to one scripture. You can turn to Nehemiah, let's turn to Nehemiah 9 verse 30. Nehemiah 9 and verse 30. Nehemiah 9 verse 30. But... You could probably think of some that he's, he worked with prior to opening it up to the larger, relatively speaking, number of people that is the church of God. The Bible specifically says that he opened it up to Moses, whether it was, you know, it was in Moses. But then, you know, some of these individuals it may have been with them or in them or so forth. But Moses and Joshua, it says the 70 elders that were with Moses God gave his spirit to them in a special way. Some judges of Israel, it specifically mentions that he put his spirit upon them. Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, he gave it to. Some of them it's difficult to see, probably not so much, maybe not in them, but working with them in a very direct way. Difficult on, on some of them to know for sure. God is the judge of that. Some of the kings of Israel, Saul and David, are specifically mentioned as those he he had his spirit work with them. Nehemiah 9, verse 30. Yet for many years you have patient, 
you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. God had mercy and patience with the people of Israel. And he testified to them by his spirit. He did it through his spirit that was in his prophets. Let's go to Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3 and verse 5. Ephesians 3 and verse 5. It says, which... In other ages was not made known the, the, the truth, the understanding, uh, the understanding and knowledge of the truth, the mystery of Christ. It was not made known in other ages. It was not made known to the sons of men, verse 5. And it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So God worked through his prophets, and he gave them his Holy Spirit. But it wasn't opened up, as we know, until the day of Pentecost, 31 AD. It wasn't opened up to the church. I mean, it wasn't opened up in a general way yet. But the church, being the first fruits, began to receive it. So, attribute number three is that God gave his uh, spirit. He worked with several individuals prior to 31 AD through and by his spirit. Uh, Attribute number four, it emanates out from God throughout all the universe. Let's turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings uh, chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8, God's spirit emanates, goes out from him to all of the universe. You know, I, I don't remember, I was probably 12 or 13 or I don't remember exactly, but when all of the changes started taking place in our former, former association. And, uh, but one of the things I think I either remember or maybe I had these wrong thoughts myself, I don't, I don't remember exactly, but that, you know, God was this Big blob that just filled everything in all the universe and was in everything and and that type of thing. That is not what God's word says about him at all. He sits on his throne and to sit, you need to be able to sit. Uh, he's described in Revelation, uh, you know, one. Having feet and hands and hair, face, nostrils in other places, mouth. Um, He's made us in his image. What does God look like? He looks like us. Or we look like him, I should say. (laughs) We look like him. Helps us get a picture about what God looks like. Not a big old blob. That's wrong. That's false. That's a lie. 
First uh, Kings 1, verse 8 and verse 27. Chapter 8, verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. And that's through his Holy Spirit. How much less the temple that I have built, yet God sat there in his temple. Psalm 139. This is a familiar one. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 and verse 7. Here, another psalm of David. David, through his meditations, being able to express these things that that we couldn't otherwise know. And even he said that some of these things came through God's Spirit working through him. Uh, Verse 7. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? I can't get away. I can't hide. We can't hide from God. If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I take my bed into the grave, behold, you're there. No matter where I go, no matter where I am, no matter where we could ever be, God is there through his Holy Spirit. That emanates out from him throughout the universe. Okay, attribute number four is God's Spirit emanates throughout the universe from him. Uh, Attribute number five, it is the spirit of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. You think I'm dancing up here? No, I'm not dancing. Just getting the uh, little rug down there. Good. Let's go to Exodus 31. And there there are several places that talk about this, but this is going to help us cover a, uh, a couple of the attributes here. Exodus 31. I think last time I spoke, I I quit early. So that means I can go long. No, I won't. I won't do that. Exodus 31 in verse 3. This is God working with the Israelites as they were building the tabernacle. And this gives us insight to God's spirit and how God used his spirit. Exodus 31 verse 3, and I have filled them with, I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. So God will give understanding and wisdom. It is the Spirit of wisdom. We might look at that later. The Spirit of knowledge. And God gives that through his Holy Spirit. And he can help. He gave Samson strength through his Holy Spirit. That's how he tore the the lion in two. Like you would a young goat, it said. I've never torn a young goat in two. (laughs) Seems intense. More intense for a lion, I imagine. He gives strength. 
He gives the ability, uh, this, this, uh, in all manner of workmanship, to put things together, to figure things out, to, to take care of things. This was for the tabernacle. But I'll tell you, I don't know for sure, but I think there were times at least that I know I had problems on different projects uh, that I had, you know, work, used to work on. And there were technical issues that were beyond my thought process. I didn't know what was happening. I, I didn't, I, I had spent probably already too much time looking into the problem. And I'd pray about it. And God would just show you what the problem is. I'm sure we've all run into that. Where he will help. He'll help even with the physical things. And he can. He has the ability to do that through his Holy Spirit. If we get to an impasse, he can help. So, attribute number five is that his spirit is a spirit of wisdom. It talks about here, spirit of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Attribute number six, you don't have to turn anywhere for that, but you could write it down because we just pulled it out of here, and that is it it can help with physical attributes. It can help in a physical way. Number five, um, number seven. So six is it can help in a physical way or it can help with physical attributes. Number seven is it is called uh, the comforter. The comforter or the helper, parakletos, the Greek word. Uh, Let's turn to John 14 and verse 17. The comforter, the consoler. John 14 and verse 17. The spirit of truth, again called the spirit of truth. Spirit of truth. Which happens to be the next attribute. I gave it away before I should have. I couldn't hold it back though. The spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows him, um, nor uh, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you. Um, oh, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, or com- the comforter, and he will abide with you forever. And then in John 16, verse uh, 13. Let's go to John 16 and verse 13. Then I want to read from actually Mr. Weston's article in the LCN. Uh, we just got it maybe a week ago or something like that, I think. Um, but uh, if you haven't read it yet about the Holy Spirit, do it. It's a wonderful, wonderful, helpful article. Just uh, how to understand the Holy Spirit. Understanding the Holy Spirit is the name of the article by Mr. Weston. John 16, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not uh, speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, uh, he will speak, and he will tell you, all, uh, tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So, 
the word parakletos. It, ha- it is the it is a Greek word and it is a masculine Greek word. Okay, so it has that masculine gender. So I want to just read, address it here. It's a little bit off topic, but it's a wonderful time to address it that Mr. Weston brings up here in regard to why it says he and whether or not we should use it that way or look at it that way. Again, he only uses this in uh, John uh, 14 and John 16, uh, the word parakletos. Mr. Weston writes, in both John 14 and 16, Jesus used a literary technique known as personification to describe the Holy Spirit. Another biblical example of personification is found in Proverbs 8. Why don't we go to Proverbs 8 real quick? Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Personification. Verse 1. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom cry out? Oh, how could wisdom cry out? And understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill, beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city and at the entrance of the doors. It's referred to as she, crying out, speaking out, lifting up a voice. He points out, personification. Neither wisdom, Mr. Weston goes on, neither wisdom nor understanding are persons, but each is described as possessing personal characteristics in this passage. So when Jesus spoke of the comforter, he was not contradicting other passages of scripture that clearly show the Holy Spirit is the projection of power and mind of God instead of a person. It's not a contradiction. So, so, you know, if you ever ask, if we're ever asked about that, well, then that's the answer for that. Part of the answer for that. And he goes on to say, are there three people in the Trinity, you know, in, in some Trinity? The answer to that is no, 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 no. Okay. So that was attribute number seven that, um, The Holy Spirit is the comforter or helper. And attribute number eight, I already told you, we're not going to go anywhere else for that. And that is, it is the spirit of truth. Truth comes from God's spirit. And it will lead us into all truth. Okay. So we've looked at eight attributes. Again, there there are many more. If you can think of them, I say let's talk about them. Not now. <laughs> don't, don't yell them out now. We'll do it later. Don't yell them out later either, but, you know, we'll talk. Okay. For the rest of the sermon, I want us to focus on what does it mean for us individually? What does it mean for us? Individually, I, I say, but also, you know, the church of God in general. What does it mean? How does it impact our life? That's what I want us to focus on. Again, looking at God's word, drawing out from God's word what he says, how it affects us, how it impacts us. So the first, what does it mean for our our life and 
you know, you may rephrase that however you want to, but uh, that's fine for now. The first one, the first point is how do we access it? Or the first question, how do we access the Holy Spirit? How is it accessed? Let's go to Acts 2. Acts 2 and verse 38. Let's read verse 37. Actually, verse 36. (laughs) Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This hit them. It hit them hard. What do we do? How could we have done this? We have sinned. How can we, how can we reconcile this? They were cut to the heart and said to Peter, men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter answers the question. Then Peter said to them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Being baptized, being, uh, repenting first, changing from our, our old way of life. We've, we've heard many times, repenting, you know, we've been going this way of life. And repentance is an ongoing thing. It, it's constant. After we're baptized, it's ongoing. We're continually repenting. We're repenting of, of our nature, of who we are. We're going this way. Repenting is changing and saying, no, I'm going this way. I'm going to go God's way, God's way of life. That's what I'm going to do. Repenting and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. To be cleansed completely from our sins of past. Totally, 100% clean. Then we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 5 verse 32. There are other um, requirements. Acts 5 verse 32. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And really that falls in line with with repentance. But those who obey him. He has laws. And we have to obey in order to receive God's Holy Spirit. I I forget, it may have been one of uh, my children. Forgive me, children. (laughs) But uh, we were talking about how to receive God's Spirit. How, How can we... You know, receive God's spirit. And, you know, um, I think one mentioned something about. You have to work for it, you have to you have to earn it. Ah, so they got a spanking for that. No, I'm just kidding. That's a total joke. No spankings at all. That was a joke joke. Okay. Total joke. So, no, but, you know, it it did make us think and it made us talk about it. No way. There is nothing we can do 
to receive. Nothing we can do that we will have earned the Spirit of God. Nothing. We receive it through the grace, the mercy of God, through the forgiveness of our sins, and He gives that to us. And that only happened through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, we can't go around, I think Dr. Scott has mentioned before, okay, so if you're pardoned from, you know, you've been uh, charged with a crime and you go to prison and then you're pardoned, well, you can't keep going back and committing that crime. There's a problem with that. You have to change your way of life. And so that's, that's what we do. But we don't earn that. It's not something we earn. Okay, one more. Acts 19, verse 46. Acts 19, verse 46. What? Verse 5. Acts 19, verse 5. Okay, repent, believe, be baptized, obey. Acts 19, verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. The Holy Spirit came upon them only after they had hands laid on them by a minister of Jesus Christ. And that has been happening since this time right here. That's the only way that we can... Uh, receive the Holy Spirit, be baptized, repent, be baptized, have the laying on of hands. And just for clarity, you know, really, we, we, as we understand it, we only receive the Holy Spirit. So we're baptized, put under the water. We come up from the water. You're not baptized. You're not, you don't have God's Spirit yet. It's only after you come out of the water and whatever ministers are there, lay their hands and one of them prays and asks and that God grant the Holy Spirit. And then it's given. That's what we understand. Okay, so the first uh, point about how what it means for us is is the question: How do we access it? Okay. So, point number two. It sets us apart. Let's go to First Peter. First Peter one and verse two. It sets us apart. It sanctifies us. God's Holy Spirit sets us apart. 1 Peter 1 and verse 2. We're not, in that way, we're not like the rest of the world. It doesn't, doesn't make us better, but it does set us apart. It's only through His mercy that we can have it. 1 Peter 1 and verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And there are other verses. We're not going to go to them, but it sets us apart. God's Holy Spirit sets us apart in a special way. And anybody with God's Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 7, we're not going to go there. But 1 Corinthians 7 points out about the children. If the parents or one of the parents is, has God's Holy Spirit, the children are set apart and made holy. That's special.
Okay. It sets us apart. That's point number two. Point number three. God's Spirit lives in us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. So now we have this, the mind, the character, the power of God that He gives to us to live in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse 16. And there's a lot here. There's a lot in this passage, and there, there are many other passages. We're just going to pull out one here uh, for the sake of time. I'm just going to pull this out. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? The temple of God. Why? And that God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? For if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. God's Holy Spirit dwells in us like it did the temples of old and the tabernacle. Except this is a very special way. This is inside of us, dwelling in us. That same power, that same Majesty, that same strength, the same power that he created the universe with is dwelling in us through his Holy Spirit. So what does it mean for us? Point number three, God's Spirit is living inside of us if we've been baptized and have had laying on of hands. Point number four, we receive the very nature of God. Some of these run together, and that's okay. But 2 Peter 1 and verse 2. 2 Peter 1 and verse 2. I mean, how incredible is this? 2 Peter 1 and verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Godliness, he gives us the strength, he gives us the ability to overcome. As it mentions even in our, our statement of fundamental beliefs. The divine power has given to us all things, verse 3, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by by glory and virtue. Verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. The sermons Mr. Ames has given about the precious promises of God that we can look to, believe in, and know that He will fulfill. Like Dr. Winnail talked about yesterday, He cannot lie. Precious promises. And we have that spirit living in us and that power living in us. That divine power. Verse 4, that through these we, you may be partakers of the divine nature. The very nature of God, the creator of the heavens and earth. The one that's made everything that is. The one that's been there from all eternity. 
We have that living in us. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We have the very nature of God living in us through his Holy Spirit. That's attribute number four. I'm sorry, um, point number four about what it means for us. And we're building on these points here. Each one should, should build slightly on the other. Number five. Yes, the nature, but to think about it more specifically, it is the very mind of Jesus Christ. The mind of Jesus Christ living in us. He said, let this mind be in you, Philippians uh, 2 verse 4. Ephesians 3. Let's go to Ephesians 3. Uh, Verse 16. Uh, We'll start in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he who would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Jesus Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. We're not going to turn there, but I want to read Philippians 1 and verse 19. It says, for, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of us. And we, of course, know Galatians 2 and verse 20. Okay. So point number five about how this affects us, what this means for us, is that it is the mind and spirit of Jesus Christ living in us. The nature, yes, but the mind of Jesus Christ. Number six, it opens our mind to understand the things of God. We can understand the things of God. Or know the things of God. Let's do, look at uh, Romans 8 and verse 7. Romans 8 and verse 7. So Romans 8 verse 7. This scripture here. So when God was. Uh, when I was first. Uh, beginning to respond to God's calling, I, I, you know, I had a messed up, you know, it wasn't that messed up, but, you know, it was just, uh, I took some detours, and then God helped uh, get some things clear for me, and I was sitting in services with my, uh, my mother, my mother said, okay, wherever you're at, you're going to come to services with me. She picked me up or whatever, however it worked on Saturdays. And uh, uh, she would bring me there. And I, I didn't, I, at that point, I didn't want to be there. Um, but God helped me see differently. And, but I was, I think at that time, I was reading the Bible. I was reading the Bible. I, was, I wanted to uh, find out how to be a better person. 
So I read the Bible because I figured, um, well, one thing, side, uh, I was I was with one of my friends one time and I told him, hey, man, I started reading the Bible. And he said, man, be careful. (laughs) He said, sometimes people read that book and they change. So I said, don't worry about me. I'm not going to change, man. I'm a... <laughs> yeah, and then a couple months later, I was sitting in services. And, uh, and then it was Mr. Uh, Mr. Raymond McNair was, was giving the sermon. And he read this verse, Romans 8 and verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, and it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. And I had been reading the Bible because I wanted to learn how to be better somehow. I knew that clearly the way I was living was not good, wasn't leading to any good things. I was having problems in life. And I thought, well, I'm sure not going to look at my friends and figure out how to be a better person, because they were not good people. And I wasn't going to figure it out from television. I wasn't going to figure it out from the movies. I wasn't going to figure it out from music I was listening to. The only way to know it has to come. It has to be revealed. That's the only way. Otherwise, it comes from the the mind of man and it's worthless, useless. And so that stood out to me. That's why I can't know. That's why I can't understand. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It can only come through God's Holy Spirit. That's the only way. 1 Corinthians uh, 2 verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. What a wonderful passage here. And we, we, the only way we know this is because God's word tells us these things. First Corinthians two, verse nine. But it is written. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Without God's spirit, it cannot be understood with our own little mind. It cannot be understood. You can think up all the things you want to, but you're not going to get close. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. We can know the things of God because of this, because of his spirit, because his spirit lives in us. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? That's the only way we can know. Animals can't understand what we do because they don't have the spirit of man living in them. And if we don't have the spirit of God, then we cannot understand the things of God. But with God's spirit, we can. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. 
And we're trying to preach to this world and whose mind God is not opening up. It's foolishness. I had someone told me one time that they they knew the truth that they've been they had read some of the truth in the magazine, but they said, I can't understand it. I don't I just don't get it the way you do. You know, it's only through God's mercy that we can understand and through his spirit. They're foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay. So number six is we can know the things of God and understand the things of God through his Holy Spirit. Point number seven, and you can write down the uh, passage here. We're not going to turn to it. It gives us access to the Father. Access to the Father, the supreme, almighty God. That's Ephesians 2 and verse 18. It gives us, it gives us access and the ability to have the fruits of the Spirit. Let's go to Galatians 5. It gives us that Ability and access to that to overcome to change from our ways to obey gives us the strength to obey to produce these fruits Five verse uh, Galatians 5 verse 16 these are benefits the world longs for wishes they could have access to as it was mentioned about the, the shootings again. How just horrible. And this year, there's been more school children who've died because of shootings than there have been U.S. military personnel. It's sickening. But God's Spirit gives us access to be able to have these things verse 16 if i say then walk i say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh if you walk in the spirit you we can overcome the lusts of the flesh that it goes on to talk about verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long suffering kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such there is no law these are the things the world wishes they could have Peace that surpasses understanding. Joy. He gives us these things through his spirit. So I think that was number eight. Number eight was fruits of God's spirit. We, he gives us those through his spirit. Number nine. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12. And verse 4. 
There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. In verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. Again, spirit of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healings of the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles, another of prophecy, another of discerning the spirits, another of different kinds of tongues, another of interpretation of tongues. And But one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. God uses each one of us individually, and we should be asking God to help us to know how we can serve and build and help the body of Jesus Christ and the work of God. So it gives us... The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Let's now turn to Luke 11. We've seen the attributes, some of the attributes of God's Holy Spirit. We've looked at how that impacts our lives, what that means for us, the access it gives to the power and mind of God to overcome, to grow. Right there at our fingertips, it's right there. It's available to us. If we're sitting in this room, it is available to every one of us. Luke Luke 11. Luke 11 and verse 13. This was read yesterday, but I want to read it again. We just have uh, just a couple more verses here. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It is right there, right at our fingertips for the asking. All we need to do is ask God. And we may need to beg him to please help us. Please give us your spirit to overcome, to change, to do what you want us to do. To continue to preach the gospel, to continue to do the work, to continue to help build the body, to continue to help build our families. It's right there at our fingertips. Second Timothy 1 and verse 6. Second Timothy 1. And verse 6. It's right there. It can be quenched. It does say, don't quench the spirit. But boy, God is merciful. He is merciful. If you said, boy, I hope I haven't quenched the spirit. Well, then you probably haven't. Because you want to get back on track. And all we need to do is ask and, and fast and he will help. He will give strength. First Timothy 1 verse 6. Second Timothy, sorry. Second Timothy 1 verse 6. Therefore, Paul te- speaking to Timothy. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the laying out of my hands. Stir it up. It takes, you know, a fire, bonfire. It takes air. It takes moving things around. And it doesn't take much, a little blowing on it, a little attention. And as much attention as we put on it, boy, it will become an inferno. 
But it's all about how much we put into it. Therefore, stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has given us, not given us a spirit of fear. But God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. This day pictures one of the greatest blessings of all time. We've been given the first opportunity to have access, or we've been, we are some of those who've been given opportunity to have access to God's Spirit. The mind, the power, the character of God. Let's ask for, let's beg God that He will give us more. Let's take full advantage of what has been put right in front of us.